When I was, uh, about three weeks ago, I was looking at this booklet that had a bunch of things that, um, a bunch of activities that I did when I was in preschool and daycare. And one of the things that I saw in there was this. It says, hello, my name is Isaiah Rugnow. I love macaroni and cheese. I love going to the bank with my mom. And I want to be a Ninja Turtle when I grow up. Now, it's funny looking back and reading the things that I said as a child. And through the years, that wanting of being a Ninja Turtle grew into me wanting to become a Jedi. And then moved on to me wanting to become a basketball player. The question I have for you, friends, is what did you want to be? When you were young, what did you want to grow up to be? Was it a professional football player or baseball player? Was it a teacher or a veterinarian? Or maybe it was a firefighter or a police officer. Now, what about your parents? What type of expectations did they have of you? For many parents, they hope that their child will be the first to graduate high school or be the first to graduate college. For many parents, they hope that their child will be the first to, in the family to be a doctor or to be a lawyer. For many of you, or for many um, parents, you guys share those same expectations that your parents had for you with your own children. Uh, Many of you as parents hope to see great things for your child. You hope that your child will accomplish every goal that he or she sets out to do. But friends, what happens when those things that you have planned for them, that you long for them to accomplish, doesn't go as planned? What happens when your child doesn't grow up to be everything that you thought he or she was destined to be? What happens when your dreams, when the dreams that you had of your kids doing great and wonderful things were in fact just dreams themselves? What happens when he or she doesn't grow up to be the golden child, but rather the black sheep? Friends, this is the story of Cain and Abel. Two brothers with two different, very different expectations. One whose name means acquired or gotten in Cain. The others who means vanity or breath or nothing. Cain, who was, the believed, who was believed to be the skull-crushing seed of the woman. Abel, whose life will amount to nothing. And here in our verses this morning in Genesis chapter 4, we will see that Cain doesn't live up to being the promised Messiah, but rather the first murderer. We will see this morning how far man has fallen because of Adam's sin. We will see how depraved and wicked man's heart truly is. This morning, God gives us a vivid picture of how far we have fallen from the glory of God. And saints, if you ever ever wondered 
when the effects of the fall will start to take place, you don't have to look very far. Because we see right after the fall, in the birth of these two sons, Cain and Abel, that God's depravity, or the, the depravity of man and sin is, is starting to be infected and is starting to escalate in the hearts of men and women. This morning, saints, we will look at the murder of Abel by the hands of his brother, Cain. And to help us, I have three points I would like for you to consider. Number one, the crime. Number one, the crime. Number two, the interrogation. Number two, the interrogation. And number three, the sentence. So we have the crime, we have the interrogation, and we have the sentence. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Genesis chapter 4, verse 8 through 16 says this. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to, to, to you its, its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain. At least any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away with the presence, from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Saints, that's the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's consider our first point, the crime. The crime. Now, before we consider verse 8, let's first set the stage of what's about to transpire. Verse 3 through 5 say this, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Verse 3 through 5 are really the calm before the storm. It's a Sabbath day. Harvest time is over. And these brothers were to bring an offering and sacrifice to the Lord in praise and thanksgiving. This offering and sacrifice had two objectives. For one, it was to give thanks to the Lord for the blessing of crops and livestock during the harvest time. It was to give to God what was rightfully his, the first fruits of the harvest and the first and the first of the livestock. Secondarily, it was to show Cain and Abel's need for grace and forgiveness. The two brothers were to bring to the Lord a blood sacrifice. As Hebrews 9:22 tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Last week we considered the offering of the first brother Cain. Verse 3 tells us that Cain 
brought to the Lord the fruit of his ground. It can also be rendered Cain brought to the Lord some of the fruit of the ground. Cain brings to the Lord the leftovers of his harvest. He brings to God the weak and bruised fruit of his crops. But not only that, Cain doesn't feel the need to bring to God a blood sacrifice. He doesn't feel the need to have to present to God a blood sacrifice uh, to, for the forgiveness of his sins. Cain's cheap offering does more than reveal his disobedience to God. It reveals his heart toward God. It reveals the selfishness of Cain. It reveals the self-centeredness of Cain. It reveals the depravity of Cain. His brother Abel, on the other hand, brought to God the best that he had. Abel brought to God the fattest and most plumpest of his flock. Hebrew 4, 11, 4 tells us, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Abel believed in the promised seed that was to come. And based upon his belief, he gives to God the first of his best. Abel didn't hold back to give to God what was rightfully his, because he knew that something more substantial was on the horizon. Cain brings to God false worship. Abel brings to God acceptable worship. And as a result of these two offerings, Verse 4 goes on to say that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. God accepts Abel's offering, but he rejects Cain's offering. Cain, for the first time in his life, is rejected. Cain, who, was, who for his whole life was the favored one, he was the firstborn, now is the one who is looked over. Now Cain, for the first time in his life, is the one who is passed by. This was an all-new experience for Cain. This immediately upsets Cain. Cain is immediately outraged. He can't believe what God has done. How can God look over my offering? So God steps in, and he pursues Cain. He counsels Cain. He says in verse 6 and 7, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desirous for you, but you must roll over it. God essentially gives Cain two choices that lead to two separate destinations. If Cain does well, if he obeys God and does what God commands, God will forgive him. God will welcome him. But if Cain does not do well, then sin awaits him. Sin is currently in the bushes, awaiting Cain to, to, to open the door a little bit. At this very moment, sin is stalking Cain. It's, it's shadowing Cain. Its eyes are fixed on Cain. Cain at this current moment has a choice to make. He can either obey God or he can obey his sin. What choice will Cain make? Let's consider the beginning words of verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, let's stop there. Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, verse 8 begins with this conversation between 
Cain and his brother Abel. The text says Cain spoke to his brother Abel. Now, what's interesting is the Greek Septuagint, uh, the Samaritan version, and the Latin translation add this to verse 8. Let's go out to the field. So if we put it all together, the text reads like this. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. Let's go out to the field. Again, Cain at this moment is outraged. The desire to sin is slowly reaching its apex point in Cain. So Cain tells his brother, let's go out to the field. How many times has... Cain told his brother, let's go do something. Let's go here and let's go there. Cain talks to his brother Abel, just like the serpent talked to Eve. Sin is no longer at Cain's doorstep at this moment. It's now been invited in. What the phrase out to the field suggests is this was premeditated and was carefully planned by Cain. Cain, in his sick mind, tries to find a place where he could be alone with his brother. Cain is drawing and luring his little brother into a trap. Just as the serpent lured Eve into eating of the fruit, Cain lures his brother into the field. Instead of putting his anger, resentment, and bitterness to death, Cain comes up with a plan to isolate his brother, to put him to death. Instead of choosing to obey God, Cain gives in and chooses to obey his sin. At this very moment, friends, sin is second by second and inch by inch gaining mastery over Cain. Saints, this is a vivid illustration of what James says in James chapter 1, verse 15. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Sin at this very moment is at its infant stages. But it's there. What the phrase out in the field also suggests is Cain wanted to be away from any witnesses. Cain took his little brother far away in the field so no one could hear the victim's screams for help. Cain had this all planned out. Cain thought the field was the perfect location to get away with the perfect murder. The stage is now set. With Cain's temptation reaching a climax point, his sin now reaches its adult stages. Verse 8, And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. What was once premeditated has now become a reality. That sin that was once crouching at the door has now trampled Cain. Cain kills his brother Abel. The word killed or kills in the Hebrew indicates that Cain's murdering of his brother was not by accident, but rather it was intentional. This is what Cain has, has, has meant to do this entire time. This, this was premeditated. This was an intentional killing 
by someone. This is what Cain has been planning ever since verse 5 when his offering was rejected. The second his offering was rejected, the, the desire to do something about this, to make things right, began to enter Cain's mind. And Cain feels that by murdering his brother, he's gaining some sort of justification. Cain doesn't kill an enemy. Cain doesn't even kill a stranger. Cain kills his own blood. He kills his own brother. Cain, the one who is to bring joy and happiness to Adam and Eve, now brings pain and disappointment. Cain, who was the one who was the, he was supposed to crush the head of the serpent. Instead, he crushes the head of his own brother. Instead of Cain turning to the Lord to receive life, Cain turns to his brother and deals out death. Eve thought Cain was the Messiah. Instead, he was a murderer. Cain's murdering of his brother Abel reveals not his hatred for his brother, but his hatred for God. Cain couldn't kill God. Cain couldn't get to God. So instead, he kills one of God's image bearers. He says, if I can't take out God, if I can't take out the righteous one, I'll take out the one who God deems as righteous, Abel. However, Cain or Abel, Abel only ignited Cain's hatred for God. Abel was only the fuel that helped Cain hate God. Now you might ask, how did, how did he do that? How did Abel ignite Cain's hatred for God? Friends, Abel exposed Cain's sin. Abel exposed Cain's unrighteousness. Abel exposed who Cain really is. Friends, the light will always expose the darkness. And as we close this point, what we learn from the murder of Abel is this one truth. And that is sin is not something that we can play around with. That your sin is not something that you can play around with. Sin has the ability to grow and mature and take over you. And for many of us, sin will not push us over the edge of killing another person. But sin does have the power to kill you. Friends, what are we to do? We're to do the same thing that we were exhorted to do last week. Continue to look to Christ. Continue to pursue Christ and seek the glory of God. Now you might ask, well, it sounds easy to do. But what are the means by which God has given to us to kill sin? For one is prayer. Or let me backtrack. For one, he has given you the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. How much do you rely on him? How much do you ask that, that, the, that the Holy Spirit will continue to, to remove sin from your life and detach you from everything that you want to be and everything that you want to do? Second, he's given you prayer. You have 24 access to God every single day. You have something that pagans don't have. 
That is, you have a listening ear to God. God listens to your prayer. He will answer your prayer. Also, he's given you his word. Continue to stand on God's word. If one stands on God's word, then he builds his house on a solid foundation. If, but if one does not stand on God's word, then his foundation is like hay. gets tossed to and fro. What Cain shows us here is sin is deadly. And sin has the power to kill someone, but also kill you. Let's consider the next point. The interrogation. The interrogation. Cain has now killed his brother. And he thinks his crime will go unnoticed. He thinks that he came up with the perfect plan in which he can get away with the perfect murder. However, not on God's watch. Not on the all-seeing eyes watch. God immediately steps, steps in. And he sets up court and begins to question and interrogate Cain. Verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother? This is very similar to God when he asked Adam in the garden, Where are you? Again, this doesn't mean that the Lord is unsure of what happened to Abel. But as God's way of counseling Cain into repentance, Cain should have immediately became sorrowful once God asked him where his brother was. Cain should have immediately pleaded to God for forgiveness once he was asked where his brother was. Instead of God sentencing Cain for murder, he allows Cain to confess his crime. Saints, what we see with the way God handles the situation is simply remarkable. God here is showing how patient he is. He's showing how gentle he is with the unrighteous. He's allowing Cain to fall on his knees for repentance. God had every reason to strike down Cain. But he allows Cain to come to his senses. But Cain doesn't seem sorrowful at all. Sin has affected Cain's brain. His sin has wrapped its web around Cain's ability to think rationally. So instead of telling God the truth of his murder, he lies to God. Verse 9, he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? What arrogance. This is a bold-faced lie by Cain. His response to God reveals how hard his heart truly is. We see in Cain's response how sin has now infected and taken over his speech. In, chapter eight, in John chapter 8, Jesus says, Satan is the father of lies. And here we see one of his finest children at work. Cain tells the Lord, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? In other words, that's a dumb question to ask God. Who am I? My brother's shepherd? There is not a shred of guilt or remorse in Cain's confession or answer. Confession in Cain's answer. But only arrogance and self-righteousness. Cain asked him, my brother's keeper, which is another way of saying, am I responsible to keep watch over my brother at all times? I'm not his mom. I'm not his dad. I'm not responsible for him. And indeed, that's another lie of Cain. 
Not only did he lie about knowing where his brother was, but he lied about having a responsibility over his brother, Abel. Cain was responsible for Abel's well-being. Just as Adam was responsible to guard his wife, Cain was responsible to guard and protect his little brother. Cain was to keep watch over his brother, not murder his brother, not sin against his brother. He was to teach his brother how to fight sin. Friends, are you starting to see how quickly sin has escalated and intensified post-fall? When Adam was caught in his sin, at least he confessed to God what happened. Cain, on the other hand, doesn't seem to care what happened. When Adam's sin was exposed, he he tried to cover it up with with fig leaves and and loincloths. When Cain's sin was exposed, he tried to cover it up with lies and attitude. But Cain's lies are not fooling God. Verse 10, the Lord said, what have you done? Which is another way of God saying, I know exactly what you have done, Cain. But not only that, you know exactly what you have done, Cain. You know where your brother is. And you know you're responsible for your brother. God here was rebuking Cain and his behavior. Cain thought that he can get away with murder. He thought that his crime would go unnoticed. Then God says this remarkable statement. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Cain thought the field was a far enough place for any witnesses to hear the screams of his brother. But now from the field, his brother cries out to God. The ground that Cain once kept is now stained with his brother's blood. Victor P. Hamilton notes at this point, the word here uh, used for crying in the Hebrew frequently describes the cry of the oppressed. Be they afflicted in Sodom and Gomorrah, the overworked and exhausted Israelites in Egypt, or the afflicted stranger, widow, or orphan. The Hebrew word for crying is associated with the groans of an innocent victim who has been brutalized and harassed. This is no ordinary cry. This is not the cry of, an, of, a, of, a, of a baby who wants to be burped or fed. This is a cry from someone who is innocent. This is the cry of someone who has been brutalized and victimized and slaughtered. Throughout this whole text, Abel never spoke one word. We never got to hear one word from Abel. We never got to hear what Abel thought of Cain's offering. But now he speaks louder than all. From the very ground that Cain kept, now his brother cries out to God. And what is he saying? Abel cries out to God for justice. Abel is crying out to God for vengeance. His blood cries out for this wrong to be made right. And God will indeed make everything right. Saints, as we close this point with one application, let us consider what John said in 1 John 3.15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 
You might say, this is a sad story. The murder of, of, of Abel is a tragic event in redemptive history. But you might be so arrogant and say to yourself, I'll never be like Cain, though. You might be so blind of your sin and say, I'll never intentionally murder someone in cold blood. However, in hate and anger in your heart for your fellow brother, you might be a convicted serial killer. You might not ever physically kill one person like Cain, but ask yourself, friends, in your heart, how many people have you brutally murdered? How many people have you taken out to the field with your slander and gossip? Friends, unrepentant sin is dangerous. The longer you let it linger, the harder your heart turns toward the truth. And the easier it is for you to deny what you have done. The easier it is for you to not turn to God. Not throw yourself at the mercy seat of God. If there's any anger, if there's any, any hatred, if there's any malice in your heart for another person, saints, I say this with bold, underlined letters and words, let it go. Simply let it go. Say like David, who said in Psalms 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Continue to ask God to soften your heart for your fellow brothers and sisters. And I know it's hard. I know it's challenging. I know it's difficult. But in doing so, you are exemplifying that you are killing sin day by day. And you are trying to conform more, not to the image of yourself, but more to the image of Christ, the better self. Ask God. To help you, saints. Because if you do not, Cain's fate will be yours as well. Now let's consider our last point, the sentence. We consider the crime. We looked at the interrogation. Now the situation moves to the sentence. Verse 11 and 12 say this. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, you shall no longer yield to it its strength. It shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Let's stop there. We see here post-fall God pronouncing the second judgment upon his creation. And in many ways, Cain's sentence is a lot more severe than his mother's and father's. When Adam sinned, God cursed the ground. But when Cain sinned, God curses Cain from the ground. When Adam sinned, God told Adam, in pain all the days of your life, he will eat from the ground. But when Cain sinned, God told Cain that the ground will not produce any food for you to eat. Cain will be a ruthless, rootless wanderer on the earth all the days of his life because of his murder. A question immediately arises. Well, 
why didn't God just impose the death penalty upon Cain? It seems only right and natural. It seems only fair that the one who took a life must give his life. The answer, saints, is I don't know why God did that. The law of capital punishment which applies to all men in all ages was sovereignly suspended in this case for God's own purposes and glory. God doesn't simply wipe out the ungodly line, which he had every right to do, but, but he allows it to continue and flourish throughout the ages to come. And I think what it really shows is the character of God, of this, of this providence and common grace that the unrighteous receive from God's hand. However, Cain thinks that this sentence is way too rough. This is way too much. Look at Cain's response in verse 13 and 14. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away. You are driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Now, wait a minute, God. This ain't cool. I mean, I just murdered someone. But now you're making me a wanderer? And also now the, uh, when, I, when, I, when I try to produce crops, no fruit will come about? Not one single ounce of remorse from Cain. Cain doesn't feel sorrow for what he has done, but only feels sorrow for himself. He does not say like David, have mercy on me, O God. Or like the tax collector in Luke who wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Cain is only sorrowful because he got caught. Cain feels more sorrow over his sentence than he does for the death of his own brother. Saints, this is a vivid picture of us as well, is it not? How often do we feel sorrow because we got caught? over because we sinned against God. In our sin, we fear more the police and this earthly judicial system than God's standard of righteousness and holiness. Jesus tells the disciples in Matthew 10, 28, do not, and do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and the body in hell. Saints, it's a good and righteous thing to fear God. It's a holy thing to fear God. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And here we see that Cain has no fear in God whatsoever. He does not care about God's, about God sending Cain to hell or, or any type of eternal damnation, but rather he, he's more concerned about how others will view him, how others will see him. Cain believes that God has unjustly sentenced him. He says his punishment is greater than he could bear. In other words, he doesn't think that God is being fair. He believes that, that God's judgment is unreasonable and, and far too harsh. And to top it off, Cain is worried about his own well-being and security. Now, not only does he think that his punishment is unfair, but he thinks that 
man, someone's going to get me now. He says at the end of verse 14, whoever finds me will kill me. Now, this hints to us that there were more people on the earth than just Abel, Cain, Adam, and Eve. Now, you might ask, who else were on the earth at this time? I think it's safe to say that these people who Cain is worried about are, in fact, his own siblings. Isn't it ironic that the one who killed his sibling fears his own siblings? The one who killed his own brother is now worried about his brothers and his sisters killing him. Cain believes that God has placed a bounty on his head. Cain thinks that he's a dead man walking. This is self-pity from Cain. This is so common of the unrighteous. He's so blinded by his sin to take responsibility for his own actions. Cain makes light of his sin, but he's quick to pass judgment on God who cannot sin or do evil. Let's move on to verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. Which, which means God will not kill someone seven times, but it means fullness, completeness. And the Lord put a mark on Cain. At least any who find him should attack him. God assures Cain that he will protect Cain. So a mark is placed on Cain. Now, friends, you might ask, what was this mark that God gave to Cain? Was it a certain hairstyle? Was it a scar? Was it a dog? Was there something on his clothes? Quite honestly, it's useless to speculate. Because we simply don't know what this mark was. But I think what's more important is the theology behind the mark. It's a mark that promises Cain that God will protect him. It's a mark of God's goodness and mercy toward Cain. It's a visible sign that would function as a badge of protection, but, but also permanently remind Cain that he was under a curse for his crime. Cain, I will protect you. This mark will signify that, that this common grace and, and perseverance and providence that I have for the unrighteous, for the ungodly. But don't get it twisted, Cain. This mark also means that you are still under divine judgment. You are still under divine wrath. What grace and mercy our Lord has shown to Cain. This sinful rebel didn't value his brother's life, but God values his. We end our text with verse 16. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, the land of Nod is, in my view, an unknown place. Because what the land of Nod really is, is the land of wandering. It says that Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and the wanderer went out to the land of wandering. Abel's, brother, Abel's name meant nothing. And Cain, his brother, who had every, pro, every 
expectation given to him is now driven to a place of nothing. This is the end of Cain's life. And a sad ending it truly is, is it not, saints? This one who had every opportunity to repent to God, this one who had every opportunity to to turn from his sin, now must live with his sin all the days of his life. This was the one who was to bring his people back into the garden, now is driven further away from the garden, the east of Eden. But more importantly, friends, He's driven away from the presence of God. Cain's life is an example to us of how rapid sin can develop in one's life that can ultimately lead one's life to death. Cain teaches us how we need to kill sin the moment of its desire. Cain sets an example to us of what false and unacceptable worship looks like. He exemplifies for us what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Cain shows us what worldly sorrow looks like and what worldly sorrow of your sin leads to. Cain shows us that our own works And what we can produce from the ground are not good enough to earn a righteous standing before a holy God. Cain shows us our need of a mediator. Saints, as we close, how do we apply these verses in Genesis chapter 4? How can we take these verses and how can we live in light of them? And what can we walk away with? Saints, I want you to walk away with this one final an ultimate truth that was true then in Genesis 4 and it's true now. And that is Christ is so much better than Cain. That Christ is so much better than Cain. Hebrews 2 verse 10 uh, through 11 says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect without through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Christ is our elder brother who is much better than our first brother Cain. Your elder brother is not ashamed to say of you, I am your keeper. I am your shepherd. Cain doesn't master satanic temptation. However, Christ overcomes every temptation the devil throws at him on your behalf. Christ doesn't take his brother out to the field to be murdered. Rather, he takes himself up Golgotha's hill to be slaughtered for his brothers. He doesn't take the life of his brothers. He lays down his life for his brothers. He's the promised seed that doesn't crush the head of his brother. He crushes the head of the serpent for his brothers. Adam and Eve hoped that Cain would give them paradise restored. But saints, Jesus gives us much more than that. 
something far more greater and better than that. He gives us a paradise that can never be lost. He doesn't take us into the garden. He moves us forward to heaven, a place that will be much greater than what we had in the beginning. Let's pray.